Part Two, Chapter Nine of Madame Bovary. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Tafidis. Madame Bovary by Gustave Flaubert, translated by Eleanor Marx Aveling. Part Two, Chapter Nine. Six weeks passed. Rodolphe did not come again. At last, one evening, he appeared. The day after the show, he had said to himself, We mustn't go back too soon. That would be a mistake. And at the end of a week, he had gone off hunting. After the hunting, he had thought it was too late. And then he reasoned thus. If, from the first day, she loved me, she must, from impatience to see me again, love me more. Let's go on with it. And he knew that his calculation had been right when, on entering the room, he saw Emma turn pale. She was alone. The day was drawing in. The small muslin curtain along the windows deepened the twilight. The gilding of the barometer on which the rays of the sun fell shone in the looking-glass between the meshes of the coral. Rodolphe remained standing, and Emma hardly answered his first conventional phrases. I, he said, have been busy, I have been ill. Seriously? she cried. Well, said Rodolphe, sitting down at her side on a footstool, no, it was because I didn't want to come back. Why? Can you not guess? He looked at her again, but so hard but she lowered her head, blushing. He went in. Emma! Sir, she said, drawing back a little. Ah, oh, you see, replied he in a melancholy voice, that I was right not to come back. For this name, this name that fills my whole soul, and that escaped me, you forbid me to use. Madame Bovary, where all the world calls you thus, Besides, it is not your name, it is the name of another. He repeated, of another, and hid his face in his hands. Yes, I think of it constantly. The memory of you drives me to despair. Now oh, forgive me, I will leave you. Farewell, I will go far away, so far that you will never hear of me again. And yet, today, I know not what force impelled me towards you. For one does not struggle against heaven. One cannot resist the smile of angels. One is carried away by that which is beautiful, charming, adorable. It was the first time that Emma had heard such words spoken to herself, and her pride, like one who reposes bathed in warmth, expanded softly and fully at this glowing language. But if I did not come, he continued, if I could not see you, least I have gazed long on all that surrounds you. At night, every night, I arose. I came hither. I watched your house. It's glimmering in the moon. The trees and the garden swaying before your window. And the little lamp, a gleam shining through the window panes of the darkness. Ah, you never knew. There, so near you, so far from you, was a poor wretch. She turned towards him with a sob. Oh, you are good, she said. No, I love you, that is all. You do not doubt that. Tell me one word, only one word. 
and Rodolphe imperceptibly glided from the footstool to the ground, but a sound of wooden shoes was heard in the kitchen, and he noticed the door of the room was not closed. "'How kind it would be of you,' he went on rising, "'if you would humour a whim of mine. "'It was to go over her house. "'You wanted to know it, "'and Madame Bovary seeing no objection to this, "'that they both rose when Charles came in. "'Good morning, doctor,' Rodolphe said to him. "'The doctor, flattered at this unexpected title, "'launched out into obsequious phrases, "'while this the other took advantage "'to pull himself together a little.' Madame was speaking to me, he then said, about her health. Charles interrupted him. He had indeed a thousand anxieties. His wife's palpitations of the heart were beginning again. Then Rodolphe asked if riding would not be good. Certainly. Excellent. Just a thing. There is an idea. You are to follow it up. And as he objected that he had no horse, Monsieur Rodolphe offered one. He refused his offer, but did not insist. Then, to explain his visit, he said that his plowman, the man of the bloodletting, still suffered from giddiness. I'll call around, said Bovary. No, no, I'll send him to you. We'll come. That will be more convenient for you. Oh, very good. I thank you. And as soon as they were alone, why don't you accept Monsieur Boulanger's kind offer? She assumed a sulky air, invented a thousand excuses, and finally declared that perhaps it would look odd. Well, what the deuce do I care for that? Charles, making a pirouette, health before everything. You're wrong. But how do you think I can ride when I haven't got a habit? You must order one, he answered. The riding habit decided her. But the habit was ready. Charles wrote to Monsieur Boulanger that his wife was at his command and that they couldn't tell his good nature. The next day at noon, Rodolphe appeared at Charles' door with two saddle horses. One had pink rosettes at his ears and deerskin side saddle. Rodolphe had put on high soft boots, saying to himself that no doubt he had never seen anything like them. In fact, and was charmed with his appearance as he stood on the landing in his great velvet coat and white corduroy breeches. She was ready, she was waiting for him. Justin escaped from the chemist to see her start, and the chemist also came out. He was giving Monsieur Boulanger a little good advice. An accident happened so easily. Be careful, your horses perhaps are mettlesome. She heard a noise above her. It was Felicity drumming the window panes to amuse little Berthe. The child blew her a kiss. Her mother answered with a wave of her whip. A pleasant ride, cried Monsieur Homais. Prudence, above all, prudence. And he flourished his newspaper as he saw them disappear. As soon as he fell to the ground, Emma's horse set off at a gallop. Rodolphe galloped by her side. Now and then they exchanged a word. Her figure slightly bent, her helm well up, and her right arm stretched out. She gave herself up to the cadence of the movement that rocked her in her saddle. At the bottom of the hill, Rodolphe gave his horse its head. They started together at a bound, and then it up suddenly the horse stopped, and her large blue veil fell about her. It was early in October. There was fog over the land. Hazy clouds hovered on the horizon between the outlines of the hills. Others, rent asunder, floated up and disappeared. Sometimes, through a rift in the clouds, beneath a ray of sunshine, gleamed from afar the roots of Yonville, through the gardens at the water's edge, the yards, the walls, and the church steeple. Emma half closed her eyes to pick out her house, and never had this poor village where she lived appeared so small. 
From the height in which they were, the whole valley seemed an immense pale lake, sending off its vapour into the air. Clumps of trees here and there stood out like black rocks, and the tall lines of the poplars that rose above the mist were like a beach stirred by the wind. By the side, on the turf between the pines, a brown light shimmered in the warm atmosphere. The earth, ruddy like the powder of tobacco, deadened the noise of the steps, and with the edge of the shoes, the horses, as they walked, kicked the fallen fir cones in front of them. Rodolphe and Emma thus went along the skirt of the wood. She turned away from time to time to avoid his look, and then she saw only the pine trunks in lines, whose monotonous succession made her a little giddy. The horses were panting, the leather of saddles creaked. Just as they were entering the forest, the sun shone out. God protects us, said Rodolphe. Do you think so? she said. Forward, forward, he continued. He chucked with his tongue. The two beasts set off at a trot. Long ferns by the roadside caused in Emma's stirrup. Rodolphe leaned forward and removed them as they rode along, and at the time to turn aside the branches he passed close to her, and Emma felt his knee brushing against her leg. The sky was now blue, the leaves no longer stirred. There were spaces full of heather and flower, and plots of violets alternated with the confused patches of the trees that were grey, bone, or golden-coloured, according to the nature of the leaves. Often in the thicket was heard the fluttering of wings, or else the hoarse, soft cry of the ravens flying off amidst the oaks. They dismounted, Rodolphe facing up the horses. She walked on in front of the moss between the paths. But her long habit got in her way, although she held it up by the skirt, and Rodolphe, walking behind her, saw between the black cloth and the black shoe the fineness of a white stocking that seemed to him as if it were part of a nakedness. She stopped. I am tired, she said. Come try again, he went in courage. Then some hundred paces further on she again stopped, and through her veil that fell sideways from her man's head over her hips, her face appeared in a bluish transparency as if she were floating under azure waves. But where are we going? He did not answer. She was breathing irregularly. Rodolphe looked round him, biting his moustache. They came to a larger space where the copies had been cut. They sat down at the trunk of a fallen tree, and Rodolphe began speaking to her of his love. He did not begin by frightening her with compliments. He was calm, serious, melancholy. Emma listened to him with bowed head and stirred bits of wood on the ground with the tip of her foot. But at the words, are not our destinies now one? Oh, no, she replied, you know that well. It is impossible. She rose to go. He seized her by the wrist. She stopped. Then, having gazed at him for a few moments with an amorous and human look, she said hurriedly, I do not speak of it again. Where are the horses? Let us go back. He made a gesture of anger and annoyance. She repeated, Where are the horses? Where are the horses? Then, smelling a strange smile, his pupil fixed, his teeth set, he advanced with outstretched arms. She recoiled trembling. She stammered. Oh, you frightened me, you hurt me, let me go. If it must be, he went in, his face changing. He again became respectful, caressing, timid. She gave him her arm. They went back. He said, 
"'What was the matter with you? Why?' "'I do not understand. You were mistaken, no doubt. "'In my soul you are as a Madonna on a pedestal, "'in a place lofty, secure, immaculate. "'But I need you to live. "'I must have your eyes, your voice, your thought. "'My friend, my sister, my angel.' "'And he put out his arm round her raised. "'She feebly tried to disengage herself. "'He supported her thus as they walked along. "'But they heard the two horses browsing on the leaves. "'Oh, one moment,' said Rodolphe. "'Do not let us go. "'Stay.' "'He drew her further on to a small pool "'where duckweeds made a greenness on the water. "'Faded water lilies lay motionless between the reeds, "'and the noise of the steps in the grass "'frogs jumped away to hide themselves. "'I am wrong, I am wrong,' she said. "'I am mad to listen to you.' "'Why, Emma, Emma?' "'Oh, Rodolphe,' said the young woman slowly, leaning on his shoulder. "'The cloth of her habit caught against the velvet of his coat. "'She threw back her white neck, swelling with a sigh and faltering in tears, "'with a long shudder and hiding her face. "'She gave herself up to him. "'The shades of night were falling. "'The horizontal sun passing between the branches dazzled the eye. Here and there, round her, the leaves on the ground trembled luminous patches, as if hummingbirds flying about had scattered their feathers. Silence was everywhere. Something sweet seemed to come forth from the trees. She felt a heart whose beating had begun again, and the blood cursing through her flesh like a stream of milk. Then far away, beyond the wood on the other hills, she heard a vague, prolonged cry, a voice which lingered and in silence she heard it mingling like music with the last pulsations of her throbbing nerves. Rodolphe, with a cigar between his lips, was mending with his penknife one of the two broken bridles. They returned to Yonville by the same road, and the murderers saw again the traces of their horses side by side, the same thickets, the same stones to the grass. Nothing around them seemed changed, and yet, for her, something had happened more stupendous and if the mountains had moved in their places, Rodolphe now again bent forward and took her hand to kiss it. She was charming on horseback, upright, with a slender waist, her knee bent on the mane of the horse, her face somewhat flushed by the fresh air and the red of the evening. On entering Yonville, she met a horse prance in the road. People looked at her from the windows. At dinner, her husband thought she looked well, but she pretended not to hear him when he inquired about her ride. She remained sitting there with her elbow on the side of a plate between the two lighted candles. Emma, he said. What? Well, I spent the afternoon at Monsieur Alexandre. He has an old cob, silver fine, only a little broken need, and that could be bought, I am sure, for a hundred crowns. He had, I think it might please you. I have bespoken it, bought it. Have done right, do tell me. She nodded her head in assent, and then a quarter of an hour later. Are you going out tonight? she asked. Yes. Why? Oh, nothing, nothing, my dear. And as soon as she had got rid of Charles, she went and shut herself up in a room. At first she felt stunned. She saw the trees, the paths, the ditches, Rodolphe, and she again felt the pressure of his arm while the leaves rustled and the reeds whistled. 
But when she saw herself in the glass, she wondered at her face. Never had her eyes been so large, so black, of so profound a depth. Something subtle about her being transfigured her. She repeated, I have a lover, a lover. Delighting at the idea that a second puberty had come to her. So at last she was to know those joys of love, that fever of happiness of which she had despaired. She was entering upon marvels where all would be passion, ecstasy, delirium. And azure infinity encompassed her, the heights of sentiment sparkled on her thought, and ordinary existence appeared only afar off, down below in the shade, through the interspaces of these heights. Then she recalled the heroines of the books that she had read, and the lyric religion of these adulterous women began to sing in her memory with the voice of sisters that charmed her. She became herself, as it were, a natural part of these imaginings, and realized the love dream of a youth that she saw herself in this type of amorous women whom she had so envied. Besides, Emma felt satisfaction and revenge. Had she not suffered enough? But now she triumphed the love so long pent up burst forth in full joyous bubblings. She tasted without remorse, without anxiety, without trouble. The day following passed with a new sweetness. They made vows to one another. She told him of her sorrows. Rodolphe interrupted her with kisses, and she, looking at him through half-closed eyes, asked him to call her again by her name, to say that he loved her. They were in the forest, as yesterday, in the shed of some wooden shoemaker. The walls were of straw, and the roof so low they had a stoop. They were seated side by side in a bed of dry leaves. From that day forth they wrote to one another regularly every evening. Emma placed a letter at the end of the garden, by the river, in a fissure of the wall. Rodolphe came to fetch it, and put another there, that she always found fault with as too short. One morning, when Charles had gone out before daybreak, she was seized with a fancy to see Rodolphe at once. She would go quickly to La Huchette, stay there an hour, and be back again at Yonville while everyone was still asleep. This idea made her pant with desire, and she soon found herself in the middle of the field, walking with rapid steps without looking behind her. Day was just breaking, and from afar recognized the lover's house. The two dovetailed weathercocks stood out black against a pale dawn. Beyond the farmyard there was a detached building, which thought must be the chateau. She entered it was as if the doors as her approach had opened wide of their own accord. A large straight staircase led up to the corridor. Emma raised the latch of the door, and suddenly at the end of the room she saw a man sleeping. It was Rodolphe. She uttered a cry. You hear, you hear, he repeated. How did you manage to come? Ah, your dress is damp. I love you, she answered, throwing her arms about his neck. This first piece of daring successful. Now every time Charles went out, early Emma dressed quickly and slipped and tipped down the steps that led to the waterside. But when the plank for the cows was taken up, she had to go by the walls alongside of the river. The bank was slippery. In order not to fall, she caught hold of the tufts of faded wallflowers. Then she went across ploughed fields in which she sank, stumbling and clung in her thin shoes. Her scarf, knotted round her head, fluttered to the wind in the meadows. She was afraid of the oxen. She began to run. She arrived out of breath, with rosy cheeks, and breathing out from the whole person a fresh perfume of sap of verdure or the open air. At this hour Rodolphe still slept. It was like a spring morning coming into his room. The yellow curtains along the windows let a heavy, whitish light enter softly. Emma felt about, opening and closing her eyes, while the drops of dew hanging from her hair formed, as it were, a topaz aureole round her face. Rodolphe, laughing, drew her to him and pressed her to his breast. 
Then she examined the apartment, opened the drawers of the tables, combed her hair within its comb, and looked at herself in his shaving glass. Often she put between teeth the big pipe that lay on the table by the bed, amongst lemons and pieces of sugar near a bottle of water. It took them a good quarter of an hour to say good-bye. Then Emma cried. She would have wished never to leave Rodolphe. Something stronger than herself forced her to him. So much so that one day, seeing her come unexpectedly, he frowned as when put out. "'What is the matter with you?' she said. "'Are you ill? Tell me.' At last he declared with a serious air that her visits were becoming imprudent, that she was compromising herself. End of part two, chapter nine. Recording by Maria Tafidis.